Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, that was fun. Bruce Bowie checking in the first hour of Inside Sports. He's uh, on tomorrow morning, final show, Friday morning. That'll be must listen. Who's going to drop in? What will some of the surprises be? <laughs> he said he, he said he wants that last half hour maybe for himself from 8.30 to 9.00. Uh, class act, great broadcaster, just, uh, just a joy to work with. And uh, we wish him all the best. And it's really cool. He, he made time to come in and do a full hour of Inside Sports. To everybody who texted, man, we got a lot. I, 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 I mean, when people take time to, to, to write in, I, I really do appreciate it. So when I, when I can't read it or read it to a guest that was here, I always feel a little bad. But Bruce saw a lot of them uh, coming in and, and, and smiled or said, oh, yeah. Because a lot, a lot of people, Kellen, and this is really cool, and you heard it on the callers too, yeah. they were bringing up things Bruce said on the radio or did an appearance 30, 35 years ago, like, which is really cool, which shows right. how he connected with people. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Awesome stuff. Legendary so, career. Thank you very much for that. You can always text 630-630, the phone number 780-496-0063. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Trevor Harris is the CFL Player of the Month for August. The Eskimos quarterback had uh, 1,550 passing yards in August. The Eskimos, though, uh, went 2-2. Two and two. They will try to get back in the win column on Monday when they visit the Calgary Stampeders. 1 o'clock for the countdown to kick off here on 630 Ched. And the game will start at 2.30. That's a Labor Day Monday afternoon game. And, Kellen, I don't know if you're working. I'm working. We will have probably an abbreviated edition of Inside Sports after the football broadcast. I will broadcast. be here for the whole kit That's going to be great. Well, game will end the probably at 5.30, so they'll probably take the points after show into our time slot a bit, which is, uh, which is fine. That's fine. And then we'll do some Inside Sports for sure. Leon Dreisaitl. 50-goal man for the Edmonton Oilers last season, speaking today at the Biosteel camp in Toronto. Of course, yesterday's news, Jesse Pugliarvi signing in Finland to play pro hockey. Drysaddle was asked, would Pugliarvi be welcome back to the Oilers? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you, you want guys to pan out and you want, want guys uh, to help you um, on your team. And um, But again, you know, it seems like he doesn't, want to be on our team uh, as of right now. Uh, you know, maybe that changes. Dreisaitl with these comments as well about Puyarvi leaving for Finland. I don't think I'm the right guy to comment on it. It's, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, he's a, a young guy uh, that, you know, uh, obviously doesn't um, feel like he wants to play for us anymore. So, um, but I'll leave it at that. I think, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's people that, that will figure it out. And Dreisaitl also asked, did you sense Pugliarvi was unhappy being an Oiler? No, I, not really. I mean, I don't know. I'm probably the wrong wrong guy to ask. You know, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm, I'm not going to comment on it. All right. So <laughs> Dreisaitl sort of commenting, sort of uh, leaving it at that. So 
I mean, we talked a lot about Puliyarvi yesterday, so I'm not going to get back into it. But that, but that's that that that's uh, that's the news today. I, I know there's been a lot of stuff written out of those scrums, um, taking some shots at Drysdale and McDavid and, and the Oilers in general. Hey, that's how it goes. Until the team starts doing better and gets out of this incredible ditch they've been stuck in, uh, that's everything they do is going to be picked apart and criticized. I get it. It was interesting for me, Kellen. There, there's a there's a writer, and I'm not even going to say the guy's name. Because I, I, I kind of really slammed this guy four years ago. Oh, yeah. And I said, I'm just not going to talk about this guy again. So I'm not even going to use his name. If you read the article from a couple of days ago, he basically said, I, well, I didn't read it. I actually refused to read the article. But I, I, I read the article. I know enough that he basically said how miserable McDavid is and, mm-hmm. and he should be taken somewhere else and all, all this kind of stuff. I, I, but... Uh, four years ago, a little over four years ago, this same writer came to Edmonton for the FIFA Women's World Cup right. and uh, said how horrible Edmonton is and how horrible Commonwealth Stadium is and how Edmonton shouldn't have the games that it has and all this kind of stuff. And that actually was the first time I ever wrote a love letter, which I, I, I do periodically here on the show. I might have a love letter to someone. I had one to Kawhi Leonard mm-hmm. shortly after the NBA Finals. Uh, and I actually had a couple people say... Can you can you go with this guy again? And I said I'm not going to because I just I'm giving I guess I'm giving him a little bit of attention here, but I'm not going to bother. Fair enough. It's done. It's I I think. And as someone in the media, I, I try not to criticize other people in the media because I get it. Everybody's trying to do their thing, get listeners, viewers, readers, or whatever. Everybody's got their uh, their style and and their their corner of the industry. But what this guy does is is you know lazy and and lowest common denominator. So I, I I'm not going to give it much much credibility. So we'll just leave it at that. I appreciate the people who requested another love letter or something back at this guy, but with him, I am not going to bother. Norm in a combine, still sitting in a combine. Hey Reed, is there a rookie tourney this year for the Oilers, Flames, and Canucks? They are not going to Penticton this year. I don't. They didn't go last year either. Uh, the Oilers rookies will play the Flames rookies in Red Deer next Saturday, September 7th. The Oilers rookies will play the Flames rookies in Calgary on September 10th. We'll have the September 10th game for you on 6.30, Chad. Very special guest coming up. Kevin Malone was the general manager of the Montreal X. Ex- Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I suppose in 1994 when they had the best record in baseball and the season was canceled. He's after the break. the Toronto Blue Jays won the World Series. In 1993, the Toronto Blue Jays won the World Series. In 1994, Canada was looking for a three-peat. Not the Blue Jays, they weren't very good. But the Montreal Expos were looking great. Best team in the majors. But then a strike and then a cancellation 
and the season was not finished, and then the team was taken apart. And a man at the center of much of that, he was the Expos general manager at the time, Kevin Malone. Kevin, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. How about yourself? I am doing very well. It is great to have you on the show because, you know, there's there's a certain age of sports fan in this country, Kevin, and, and you probably hear it if you're ever back in Canada or talk to Canadian baseball fans, and there's always that, gosh darn it, if only in 1994. You probably still hear that to this day, I would guess. Yeah, I hear it all the time, uh, especially when there's anniversaries like this year. It's been 25 years since... Uh, Commissioner Seelig pulled the plug on the Expos winning their first world championship. So uh, it's been 25 years, Reed, but it feels like it's been 25 days. Well, I mean, we're kind of in a, in a midpoint here between the, the strike on August 11th and then the season actually being canceled on September 14th. So in the last week of August of that year, do you remember what you were doing? I mean, it must have felt incredibly unusual and incredibly uh, nerve-wracking. Well, there was a couple of things I was doing. One, I was praying that 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 wisdom would prevail and that both sides would find a way to end this strike. Two, I was staying in touch with players and with my manager, Felipe Alou, to make sure the guys were staying in shape and doing some baseball activities because I knew if the strike ended, you know, it was going to be important for the players to be in decent shape as soon as we could pick up the season. And then I was dealing with ownership as well, Reed, trying to figure out if we don't come back, what's the future look like? Are we going to be able to keep this team together? Are we going to need to trade players or let players go to free agency? So I was as busy during this time as I've ever been, as I ever was. So uh, I remember it again, like it was yesterday. You know, I, I remember, and I guess I was uh, I was 20 that year, so I remember being a fan and, and watching and following the Expos and enjoying a lot of the results, obviously. But I, I do kind of remember that impending sense of, uh-oh. Like, was that on your mind even, you know, May, June, July, into August? Did you have that, oh, come on, like, what's, what's going to happen here? Or is this really going to derail the season? Well, I didn't really thought... Uh, I didn't re- really think about it or thought it would happen before it did. I mean, I heard about it and I knew it was po- a possibility, but I thought there's no way that that's going to really happen. Uh, I just figured they'd have, they'd have figured it out and got a deal done, Reed, before it got to that point. But unfortunately, as we know now, it didn't. But I just never really wanted to think about it in hopes that agreement was reached and we wouldn't we wouldn't have to go on strike and then cancel the season so i mentioned september 14th 94 when it was actually canceled i mean who were you with when you when you got that news or who did who did you talk to first that must have been that must have been heartbreaking well after the season was was well postponed or, or on strike or whatever you want to call it I was going out to the minor league teams, to our AAA and our AA and our single-A teams. So I was really staying busy looking at players for the future. So each day I would check in with our, our owner, Claude Brochu, uh, or I would stay in touch with Felipe. Hey, have you heard anything from the players' side? Is anything going on? So I was staying on top of it every day, but, it, but while that was going on, uh, I was – 
you know, keeping a good eye on our on our prospects in the minor leagues. But that particular day, to be honest with you, I've blocked it out. I don't know where I was. I believe I was in Montreal, and I believe Claude called me or came into the office and said, you know, it's over. I, I still didn't want to believe it uh, when, I, when, it, when I did hear it, uh, but I know that I've tried to forget that day, but it's hard to because, as you know, Reed, and as most baseball fans know and remember, we were the best team in baseball that year by far. And I do believe with all my heart that the Montreal Expos would have won the World Series in 1991. Well, I, not it happened. I, I'm right. I'm right. Yeah, I mean, 90, I mean, 94. 94. I, I said 91 because in 91, I was with the Minnesota Twins and we won the World Championship that year. And I was thinking, wow, just three years later, I had a chance to get another ring. So yeah, ninety four. You see, I kind of, I kind of block it out even when we're talking. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Well, I know a lot of people listening are right there with you. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about that team and and the Expos. You know, had a lot of pretty competitive teams. Uh, you know, late seventies, most of the eighties, and then you know the early nineties as well. And hey, you, you were in the game most of your adult life, and and you know sometimes there are teams with a lot of talent, but they don't quite put it to- together. But but that year's team yes. put it together. How come it clicked that year for the Expos? Great question. I think there's a lot of reasons to that. I think I got to give a lot of credit to Dave Dombrowski. Uh, who was two GMs before me, and then Dan Duquette, who turned the team over to me. But it it took a lot of work. I think the scouts did a great job in getting the roster ready. Uh, I think Felipe and all of his coaches, he had a great coaching staff, Reed. Every one of those coaches managed in the major leagues after that. So that goes to show you that from Jerry Manuel at third to Louis, Louis Pujols to Joe Kerrigan – uh, all those guys went on to manage in the big leagues. So I think so we had, you know, a great manager, a great coaching staff. We had amazing young players. And I think it's just everybody had really worked hard uh, to put to put that team together. I think the players played with the chip on their shoulder. They knew they were good. Uh, we were proving it to people that year. And we just had all the pieces. We had speed. We had good defense. We had great pitching. We had John Wetland closing. I mean, we had Pedro Martinez. I mean, we as starting, we just had a full, complete team with speed, power, defense, and 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 pitching, both starting and and, and, and bullpen. So it was just a complete team, and and a lot of people deserve credit for putting that team together. And I just thank God that I had a chance to run, to be at the helm, and and uh, and to run that team. Unfortunately, though, we didn't get to finish, but. That was a really special team. And the other thing, Reed, just to, to point out, not only did we have the physical talent, and, but there was an attitude on that team, a, 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 a confidence. It wasn't arrogance. It was just a, a, a confidence that I think really helped uh, each, each player, you know, rely on the other player because everybody on the team knew they didn't have to do too much or overdo it. They could depend on the rest of their teammates. I mean, we just had the right guys at the right positions at the right time. So it was a combination of factors as to why that team came together in 94. 
You mentioned speed. Kevin Malone joining us on Inside Sports, former Montreal Expos general manager. You mentioned speed, and that's one of my favorite stats about that team, Kevin. You had seven guys in double digits in steals, and Moises Salou was had seven, so he likely would have got. So, I mean, you could add eight players with ten or more steals. That's that's pretty incredible. It is incredible, and you know the guys like Sean Barry or or Wilfredo Cordero, but. You know, the key was the guy that got most of those stone bases was Marquise Grissom. But but we had guys, you know, and it's interesting, and I've learned a lot, you know, over the years in baseball, Reed. Guys, some guys steal bases just for numbers, just so they can put up the numbers. We had a lot of guys on that team that would steal bases because we needed to, because it called for getting a runner in scoring position. So we had guys that could steal bases, but they didn't always steal just because you know, they were trying to pad their numbers. They stowed because it could help the team win. I mean, you were you were in Montreal a, a couple times uh, in, in your career, late 80s and, and then again in the 90s. And look, when people say Montreal sports, they often say the Canadians first, second, and third. Uh, but, but what was it like working for the Expos, representing uh, the Expos? I mean, obviously the franchise, uh, you know, it was kind of up and down and, and had its struggles at times. But what do you remember about just the, the spirit of the fans and the support for the Expos while you were there? Well, it was a city for the Habs. You know, the Canadians... Uh, had some great teams. What a great organization. I got to know Kurt Muller and I got to know some of the players and uh, it was a special group of, of, of players on the hockey team and they came out to support us and we appreciated that. I think what I remember was that the city really, even though they loved the Habs and the Habs was their number one favorite team, obviously, they really jumped on our bandwagon because they saw a young team that played hard, Went was was a was a winning team, and they these young players would go out in the community and do things. They'd have fun. So this was really a team for the city of Montreal and the province of Quebec. I mean, these guys felt a part of Montreal. They felt a part of Quebec. They loved the city and they loved the people. And then people just I think identified with that. And even though they, their first love was the Canadians, they still they still would come out. And, 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 and jumped on our bandwagon. And I think they would have stayed. If we'd have kept going into 95, 96 and, and beyond with that team, that with that group of players together, I think we would have won it, and I think we would have sold a lot of season tickets. We'd have got a lot of corporate sponsors. We'd have got a better TV and radio deal. And I think there would still be a team in Montreal if that strike hadn't hit in 1991. Well, 94. 94. Sorry, I keep saying that. That's okay. Well, that 91 World Series was pretty memorable too, but uh, we're, we're talking about the one that didn't happen, unfortunately. And then, and then you know, you kind of referenced it. Uh, I, I jotted down some notes here. Uh, Larry Walker uh, wasn't offered arbitration. He became a free agent. On April 5th, you traded Ken Hill and John Wetland. On April 6th, you, you traded Marquise Grissom and, and a lot of key players from the 94 team uh, moved on. T- just tell me about you know facing that reality and and having to bid farewell to some of those players well that was the hardest part not realizing that they weren't going to be part of the team and we were going to miss their leadership and their their production on the field I mean I became close with those guys I mean I I remember like John Wetland and it was just very emotional and 
it was it was very trying uh, just to tell all those guys. And Marquise Grissom and I were like best friends because we started together in Jamestown, New York, in the New York Pin League. Marquise's rookie, you know, first year in pro ball, his rookie year in, in in professional baseball. So, and then Larry Walker just letting him walk for free and not getting anything back, but a draft choice the next year. And Kenny Hill at that time was one of the best pitchers in the league. So, I mean, we had, I had to tell all those guys. I'd say it was very difficult in in a lot of ways because we had come together and knit together as a team. And and although I was the general manager and not in uniform. I still felt very close to those guys. I spent a lot of time with Felipe and the coaches and the team. I traveled a lot on the road. So it was it was really hard. The one thing that I do think about, Reed, and I'm grateful for, I was able to trade Wetland to the Yankees. He, got a, he, be, he was the MVP of the World Series that next year. So he went to a winning team. Marquise Grissom went to a winning team with the Braves. He won a world championship. Kenny Hill, I believe I sent him to St. Louis. They were very good. And Wetland ended up in, in, in Colorado being part of, of, of a great, you know, building franchise that made it to the playoffs. And I think they even made it to the World Series while he was there. So it, it, I appreciated that it worked out for those guys. But those four leaving and going on to further their successful careers really was the end of, of baseball in Montreal. This is Kevin Malone on the line, the former general manager of the Montreal Expos. Uh, We're going to have more with him after the 7.30 news, including he drafted Tom Brady. Yes, that Tom Brady. All coming up. Kevin Malone joining us on Inside Sports, former general manager of the Expos uh, with some memories of 1994 and his his time with the Expos. You know, a few years ago, Jonah Carey wrote a really good book called Up, Up and Away about the history of the Expos. And I always remember one of the points he made was that for whatever reason, the Expos always drafted really well and had a great minor league system, but always kind of had to get rid of their players because of financial concerns. I mean, even throws, you know, Carter and Dawson and guys like that into the, into that group. Is, is that, is that a fair recollection or, or summary of? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. I think that was the strength of the Expos organization. And again, I think you look back at Dave Dombrowski and he had some great scouts there. He had Gary Hughes, his scouting director, and he had Frank Wren and he also had, you know, Dan Duquette was was running the minor league system. So there's there's a, there was so many great baseball people. You know, not only you know on the field as far as players, but from front office executives. And I look back at the the coaches and the managers in that organization during that time. Like I said, not only did Felipe's coaches end up managing in the major leagues, but you had a lot of those minor league coaches that went on to get to the big leagues in coaching positions. So I think uh, I really think that that organization emphasized scouting and player development because we knew where our bread was buttered, and we knew that because we didn't have the financial resources, we had to focus on scouting and player development 
and and thank God that we were very good at it, and we had a lot of good baseball people. So, yeah, that, that's a true statement. That's the way we did it. I just wish we could have picked and, and, and chosen and kept some of those key major league players so that we could have had a blend of young and older players, you know, all at the same time. We always had to think about youth, and we were always so young. And uh, But anyway, uh, it was it was a fun team, and a, it was a great organization. I'm just thankful, Reed, too, that I had a chance to be a part of it. I feel that was a blessing from God to be there and be a part of that organization, and I'll always be thankful for for what I experienced in Montreal. So let me throw this one at you because there's always a desire to put a team back there. I know there was that uh, idea a couple months ago about having Tampa Bay and, and Montreal kind of share a team. I, I mean, I can tell from your energy and your passion, you'd, you'd love to see a team there again. Do, do you think it could work? Could it, could it somehow work differently than it did the first time around with the Expos? I think so. I do think so. I Again, I don't know about the fan base, how, how big it would be, but I think baseball, there's there's a lot of money in, in the TV and the radio and corporate sponsorships, and so there's other revenue streams now. And I do believe the Expo fans, uh, even though they were small, but they were they were powerful and as far as, you know, in, in they loved the team and their, their passion for the team was great. I believe it would grow. I mean, I think there's a, a strong core base there currently. And uh, I think they build on that. You know, it's an interesting concept. They're talking about Tampa Bay splitting the season, half the season in, in St. Petersburg, Florida, and the other half in, in, in Montreal. I mean, I'd be interested to see how that plays out. Then all you'd have to worry about is you, you having a 40-game you know, home season schedule, say, in Montreal, and the other 41 or 40 in in Tampa Bay and St. Petersburg, I, it'd be interesting to see. But I do believe the Expos deserve another chance. You know what I believe? I believe it was robbed from them. I believe that World Championship and a and a successful organization was stolen from Montreal and Quebec, and by circumstances, by bad consequences. Can't really blame anybody, but it was just the situation, the circumstances. So. I think they deserve another chance, and if if some of the people are involved, it all comes down to ownership, Reed. Do they have the right people? And I do believe those people are in Montreal, and I do believe they would be a successful organization, and I do believe they would do it right. So I am hopeful that there is a team that goes back to Montreal and sooner than later. Kevin, just a couple more for you. I, I want to ask you about a player you drafted who never played a game for the Expos but he is one of the most famous athletes of all time. Aren't you the GM who drafted Tom Brady into <laughs> as an expo? Yeah, you know, that's that's that every year, and here's why, the Patriots are in the Super Bowl. I do more interviews regarding baseball since I've been retired on Tom Brady during, you know, January, February during the Super Bowl. So, yeah, we drafted Tom Brady. We knew he was going to be a tough sign. We tried we worked him out in Candlestick Park in San Francisco. He showed us he showed us all the all the tools, everything we needed to see. Uh, he this this guy could this guy was I think going to be a major league all star catcher. He he was cerebral. Uh, he had arm strength. He was a left handed hitter. He had power, and he just had an, like he had. Um, 
he just carried himself like a like a major leaguer even in high school. He was very mature and was very professional in his approach. Yeah, I believe with all my heart he would have been an all-star catcher in the major leagues had he gone in baseball. He's done decent, I guess, in football. He's been okay (laughs) in football. No, I'm just just kidding. He's been amazing. He made the right choice. But if he had gone baseball, I think he'd have had a lot of success uh, on, on the diamond as well. Well, Kevin, you, you had a great career in baseball, obviously, and, and I know people are loving to hear about some of your memories of being with the Expos organization. But, uh, you know, that was a, an important chapter of your life, but there are other ones. Uh, we'll let people know what you're up to these days. Well, these days, Reed, I'm, I'm fighting something very evil that's in the world and in North America, especially the United States, human trafficking. Uh, about five years ago, God called me to fight against this evil that was growing and becoming an epidemic problem uh, all across the world, but especially the United States. So uh, I started an organization called the United States Institute Against Human Trafficking. And what we do, read is we lobby in, in D.C., or not lobby, but we educate politicians to try to change laws to protect kids. Our focus at, at this organization is to protect kids from getting caught up and being sold as sex slaves. We primarily work with minors. We, we do a lot of awareness, but we also we open the first and only boys' home in America for sex trafficked boys, 17 and under. We got a 10-year-old boy in about five months ago that had been sold for sex since he was five years old. We just got a call on a nine-year-old. So what God's called me to do, Reed, is to fight for children, to try to protect children, to keep them away from predators and to protect them. So we also do rescues. I work with a group of folks that go and rescue kids from these evil, evil people. And so we open homes and then we try to, we try to bring restoration and rehabilitation and try to give these kids their lives back. Cause it's a growing problem in all over the world, especially in America where men are paying to rape kids and God's called me to stop that, eradicate that, and that's kind of what I spend all my energy and passion and focus doing is protecting kids from being caught up in this sex trafficking evil that's growing all across America. Well, it sounds like you're doing really important work, Kevin. Man, it, it was it was great to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, thanks for for your hey, Reed, memories. Reed, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I need I need, I need 20 more seconds. You know, I'm living most of my time now in Las Vegas. I'm a Las Vegas resident. I want to go ahead and tell you about there's this pretty good hockey team there called the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> I know most I know most of your listeners are probably big hockey NHL fans, but tell them to come to Las Vegas and see a really good team, the Vegas Golden Knights. We would welcome them to come down there and cheer for the Golden Knights. Kevin, a great way to wrap it up. Thank you so much for your time and all the best. Thank you. Take care, Reed. God bless you. Bye-bye. Well, that was something. Kevin Malone, general manager of the Montreal Expos, 25-year anniversary, not a happy anniversary, of the season being shut down because of the player strike. Uh, great conversation there with Kevin. We touched on a, a bunch of different stuff. He's doing some really important work right now. And did you know that, Kellen? 
Tom Brady, Montreal Expos draft pick? I knew he was drafted by somebody, but I wasn't sure if it was the Expos or not. But yeah, there we go. Hey. The, the Expos, and he touched on it, they were a great team at drafting and developing talent. And then they oh, often yeah. had to part ways with that talent before they, they really got to enjoy uh, the player blossoming. They, the 1994 team, catcher Darren Fletcher, Cliff Floyd at first, Mike Lansing at second, Will Cordero at short, Sean Barry at third, Moises Alou in left, Marquise Grissom in center, Larry Walker in right, all of them 28 years or younger. You had Rondell White coming off the bench. You had Ken Hill, Pedro Martinez, Jeff Facero, Butch Henry, and Kirk Reuter pitching. John Wetland out of the bullpen. Pretty good team. And uh, he, he came out and said it. He, did, he wasn't being diplomatic. He says we would have won it all in 1994. Uh, that is, uh, for those of you old enough to remember, probably most of you listening, that was just sad. <laughs> that was, they, they were so good. You know, they were... Atlanta had, had been really good in that division for the previous three years, and the Expos were pulling away from the Braves. Now, the Braves probably would have been the wild card team, so maybe they would have played in the NLCS, but the Expos were pulling away. They looked confident. Kevin talked about them playing with a chip on their shoulder and wanting to prove everybody wrong, and they were doing it, and uh, it just didn't happen because of the strike, and then he told the story about the team being disassembled. Early next April, they end the strike. Remember, in 95, they played a slightly shortened season. They played 144 games instead of 162. And he has to basically take the team apart, or at least, you know, Walker's gone, Hill's gone, Wetland's gone, Grissom's gone. And uh, that led to them eventually becoming the Washington Nationals. You can text 630-630, our phone number 780 It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 4960063. It's Inside Sports on Chet. They're doing it the hard way on this drive, but they're doing it. Now he's going deep, and he's got Daniels. He's got it inside the 20, and he gets inside the 5 before he's pushed out of bounds on the play. Big game for the Eskimos in the late going. From the Papa John's red zone, Trevor Harris drops back, looks to the end zone, throws, and... Oh, oh what a oh. catch! Touchdown, Eskimos! Greg Ellingson diving along the sidelines, comes up with it. What a catch for Ellingson, and he's got a pair. Harris drops back, and he's going deep, looking for Tavon Smith. He's got it! Smith at the 30, the 20, the 10. Touchdown, Eskimos! Tavon Smith to the end zone. Don't go away, everybody. We got 68 seconds left. 
highlight pack featuring Trevor Harris. Now, why would we have that? Well, he's the player of the month for August in the Canadian Football League and uh, over 1,500 yards passing in the month of August. But, oh, you know, what we've talked about. The yards are not always leading to points. I just want to go over these again. Eskimos, first in net offense per game. They have a 70-yard lead per game on the next best team. That's the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Eskimos are also first in second down conversions, number of plays run per game, yards per play, first downs, and they've allowed the fewest sacks in the league. So they move the ball, they stay on the field, and as much as we complain about some of the short passes, they do lead the league in yards per play. They're fifth in offensive touchdowns. So they get close to the end zone, and they do not finish. And I think that's what's going to separate this team from being, you know, okay, a good team from being potentially a very good team or even a great team. They'll have another chance to uh, try to get over the hump on Monday when they take on the Calgary Stampeders. 1 o'clock for the countdown to kick off here on 6.30, Chad. And uh, the game will start in uh, at 2.30. Uh, I had somebody texting in... Um, no, about the uh, 94 season, no wild card then. That was the first year they went to three divisions and there would have been a wild card team. So the first actual wild card team was in 1995, but the first year of that format for the playoffs was 1994. It was never actually used because there weren't any playoffs. But the Atlanta Braves likely would have been the wild card team. So they and the Expos would have been in the playoffs and could have played in the uh, NLCS. But the first year there was actually a wild card participant was the next year, 1995. Does that make sense? That year, uh, you had the Expos leading the NL East. The Reds led the Central. Well, you know, Houston uh, Houston was uh, hanging pretty close in the wild card as well. The uh, NL West was not strong. The Dodgers were in first place. They were only two games over 500. Good to have Kevin Malone on the, sh- on the show, though. Norman Acombine uh, says he enjoyed that interview. Norman Acombine, what, what did Norman Acombine say? He's not leaving the Combine until there's an Oilers game? Yeah. Or, or, uh, that's, well, I guess he's doing okay. He's still in the Combine. You can move the Combine. It's got wheels. He could take the combine. I'm just concerned about him eating. He could take the combine through a drive-through. I, yeah, that's I right. suppose. That's what I'm saying. Is that you can drive it through a drive-through yeah, and get or food. Pe- and people can bring him food. I think there's still full-serve gas stations out there too, so you can get somebody to fuel him up too. And yeah, I'm not sure what part of the province he's in. I assume he's not right in the middle of Edmonton if he's sitting in a combine. Otherwise, we would have heard about still, it on track. Are there still a couple of farms on St. Albert Trail between Edmonton and St. Albert? There are. Yeah, he could be right there. I guess. Norman a combine. Good guy. Jared texting and he says, uh, read as people jabber about the Oilers reducing goals against. Okay, first, I got to stop it right there. Use of the word jabber, bonus points right there. There you go. Do we have some Jabba the Hut audio we could play? Can you find, find some? Find some Mr. T. Fi- find some. What's a Jibba Jabba? <laughs> find some Jabba the Hut, him talking. <laughs> There's got to be something on YouTube. Uh, Jared says, as people jabber about the Oilers reducing their goals against, they either do not know or fail to mention that this reduction usually comes at a price, the price being a reduction in goal production. This doesn't happen all the time, but it is likely in this situation, especially from the Oilers' big three. That is from Jared. (laughs) 
That is Jabba the Hutt laughing. Thank you, Kellen. Such a happy little monster in that third Star Wars movie, isn't he? Okay. First of all, that's a good text from Jared. The Oilers obviously need to reduce their goals against. I can t- I'll tell you what happened. The, the only time they've made the playoffs in the last 13 years or whatever it is now. So in 15-16, McDavid's rookie season, when McClellan was in his first year as the coach, the Oilers allowed 245 goals. The next year, 16-17, they made the playoffs. They allowed 212 goals. So they improved by 33 goals against. But how about this in the goals for department? They went from 203 to 247. So they reduced their goals against by 33 and increased their goals for by uh, 44. So they basically improved by a goal per game overall. Uh, They scored 232 goals last season. They allowed 274. You know what? Last year, the Oilers scored enough to to make the playoffs. I mean, they wouldn't have been in the top 16 in goals for, but they did score enough. It's the goals. It's the goals. Uh, it's the goals against that really hurt them. You, you know, interesting text from Jared. I, I mean, if if they cut down the goals against, though, it, it takes the pressure off the scores. I don't expect Leon to score 50 again. Do I think he can score 35? Absolutely. Uh, you know, getting to 50 again that that's going to be tough. It's, it's going to come down, well, it'll come down to several teams things for the team because they're flawed. But if you just want to talk about the goal scoring, can they have, A, a second line, a little more optimistic about then having a second line because they should have James Neal playing with Nugent Hopkins at least to start the season. And I do think Neal will do at least somewhat better than he did last year with the Calgary Flames. Then you, then you get to lines three and four which were a black hole last year for the Oilers. They didn't score. Okay, let, let's take a let, Okay, so if you're on the third or fourth line in the NHL, you, you're probably not a, a great offensive player at the highest level of hockey. I mean, yeah, some of the deeper teams might have guys with a little more touch on their third or fourth lines, but you're not, you're not obviously a high-level scorer. So if you're on the third or fourth line in the, in the NHL, can you chip in goals occasionally? Can maybe your third or fourth line get you a goal a game? One of the two lines. For the Oilers, the answer was no. Okay, so they can't score. Can they forecheck? Well, for the Oilers last year, the answer was no. Can they kill penalties? Well, for the Oilers last year, the answer was no. You got a face-off wizard or two on your third or fourth line. For the Oilers last year, your answer was no. So you had you had third and fourth line players who didn't bring much of a dimension. So... If, if those guys are better at something, even if they can check better or kill penalties better, it, it'll help. Uh, I know Jim Playfair was on with Bob earlier today. He talked about maybe Archibald helping the penalty kill, maybe uh, Grandlin helping the penalty kill. L- let's let's hope so because if you if you know you're not going to score every game in the NHL. Sure, the high level guys you can say they're they you know they might get a point a game or more. They'll at least create chances every game. But if you can't even create chances every game, can you at least keep the puck on the other team's end? Can you kill penalties? Can you win face-offs when you need it? The Oilers didn't have any depth guys who could do that. Anyway, uh, good thoughts there from Jared coming in to 6.30, All right, tomorrow on the show, we will have uh, the conclusion of our four-part series, How We Watch. We're going to have a fans roundtable. That'll be interesting. We've talked to 
an executive, Rick Lalasher from the BC Lions, who was also president of the Eskimos. We talked to a, a, a broadcasting big week. Scott Moore was on the show. We had uh, Rich Myers on with Dave last week about in-stadium presentation. He used to do all the scoreboard stuff for the Oilers. Talking about what are you giving fans to interest them, to keep them buying tickets, to keep them engaged. Now we're going to have fans themselves in. So this uh, this will be awesome. And uh, he had to... Uh, postpone we're gonna have him today he's coming in tomorrow eskimos general manager brock sunderland so that'll be fun kellen great show tonight thanks yeah no problem great show looking forward to tomorrow kellen kennedy's our studio operator dave campbell's the producer of the show thank you to our guests former expos general manager kevin malone and legendary 630 ched morning band bruce bowie was in studio his final show friday morning thanks to everybody who texted in to call them uh, to call bruce text bruce he really appreciated that too my name is Reed Wilkins. Have a great night. Take care. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.